What is the saying? When life hands you sugarcane, make rum, right? Well, my guest today is making way more than white rum, aged rum, and rum agricole down south in Gonzales, Louisiana. That's for sure. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. On Lush Life today, sponsored by Louisiana Travel, I'm thrilled to have Andrew Salto, co-owner and COO of Sugarfield Spirits, to guide us through how he and his brother found their way to Gonzales, Louisiana, in the middle of a whole lot of sugarcane, and started to produce their award-winning spirits. Have you ever been to Louisiana? I love it for its Creole and Cajun culture, Mardi Gras, and the beautiful city of New Orleans. But the Pelican State offers so much more, including the amazing live music scene covering everything from jazz to swamp pop and zydeco. A fascinating history combining diverse cultures, over 400 festivals a year, and adventures including kayaking on the bayous and lakes, hiking in the many national and state parks throughout the state, or the newly launched Louisiana Civil Rights Trail. If you didn't know it already, it's the home of the cocktail. And gumbo, jambalaya, Tabasco hot sauce, king cake, and beignets. Louisiana offers a food and drink experience that is second to none. Meet craft distillers, brewers, and mixologists who are working with local traditions and making a name for themselves on the Louisiana Culinary Trails or Louisiana Libations Trail. Now, let's hear from Andrew. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. I'm really excited. I love Louisiana, and I love Louisiana spirits. So welcome to Lush Life. Thank you for having me, Susan. Yeah, it's great to be here. We're, uh, we're having a beautiful day here down in, uh, in Gonzales, Louisiana. And I'm sitting here at the distillery and I uh, look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Now, I always start with the beginning. So I'd love to know about how you got into this spirit world, uh, you and your brother. Right. First, let's talk about how, when we started. And so we opened the distillery in January of 2020. It was a long journey before that. If you've ever opened a business or like, particularly a business in, in alcohol, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through before you can actually open your doors. And so I've been working with alcohol ever since my first job. I've been in hospitality my, my whole career. Uh, I got my undergrad in hospitality. I, I went and got my, my master's degree in hospitality. My family is big, big on education. My brother's a medical doctor. He actually wanted to go into winemaking, which is something we're going to be doing here down the road a little bit. His kind of journey into this was he was on a, a trip in Oregon and uh, they were going to a bunch of wineries. They went to the Willamette Valley. And they were flying out of Portland and they stopped in Portland the night before and went to several distilleries. And, and my brother was looking at this stuff. My brother's name, Thomas, if I, if I reference it, they were looking at, uh, when I say they, it was him, his wife and his best friend and, and his wife. So they, they were looking at this business and Thomas, I could easily do this. This, this is just basic chemistry. I love his confidence. Right. So like when I look at a distillery, I am just like, like at the back of the house, I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> he started tinkering around with some, just making liqueurs out of basic off the shelf, like vodka's rums, brandies and stuff like that. And meanwhile, I am working in Memphis at the time. I, I kind of moved around and I landed in Memphis. And wait, 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 wait a sec. Before that, are you Louisiana boys? Originally, we're from South Carolina. We were both born in South Carolina. Our Louisiana journey, I'll, I'll get to the Louisiana journey. Okay. Here All right. Can't wait. So we, I was working in Memphis and he came to see me and he was telling me the dream he had and, and how, you know, he, he knows the back of the house, but he just doesn't get the front of the house. And I was like, well, you're in luck. I know somebody that can run the front of the house for you, man. And I started talking about like, I'd just gotten big into cocktails and I had been just falling in love with, with the classics and just reading books, listening, like everything I was doing was just revolving around drinks and cocktails and spirits. 
And we kind of teamed up. There was a lot of other small things that drew us down, but our journey to Louisiana. Wait, 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 wait a sec. So, so you're both living, where was he living at this time? At the time he was in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. So you're in Memphis. He's in Jackson. He has this idea, even like he's not busy enough being a doctor. Let's try distilling, distilling as well. You're busy. yeah. Yeah. Let's throw another thing into the mix. And he calls you and says, I have this idea. Are you like, you're crazy or sure, let's try. Of course, of course. But me and my brother's relationship has, it, it's, it's like a lot of other brothers. If you would have told me 10 years ago that we would be working together, I'd tell you, you're insane. We are nothing alike. When I say that, I mean, my brother is very, he is so smart and he talks at such a different level than I do that it's. Hey, listen, I got. I have I a brother. Like, I can never work with my brother. So I totally understand. Well, we actually, we got together and started looking at things. We realized like when we taste the spirit, we go different directions with it. My brother goes, how is this made? Like, what what are the ingredients in this? Like, what kind of still is this made on? Like, and that kind of thing where I, I go the opposite direction. I think it's a, it's a good way. You got to have both sides of that, or you're going to have a distillery that's not balanced. You want to have balance or you get really, really crazy flavors just don't work. Well, that's, and, that's what makes you guys such a good team. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's really what it goes to is the team aspect of my brother and I. We work together very well. We also are, we, we're big rivals with everything that we do, but it's, it's a healthy rival. We, we always are trying to outwork each other out taste each other. I know he doesn't like gin, so I'm always making him stuff with gin or agricole. And I, he knows I don't like scotch. So every birthday and Christmas, I know I'm getting a bottle of scotch. So because uh, he's trying to build my palate on that and hope that I find something that I like. And we're quite successful with that. Like, uh, like I'll trick him all the time with cocktails and he's like, boy, this is really good. What is this? And I'll tell him it's, it's a gimlet. <laughs> I didn't like that. Yeah. I like that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you weren't such a good team, you wouldn't still be together after uh, two years. So that's true. It's true. Uh, well, it's more like we wouldn't be together uh, for uh, I'm 40 years old, it, 40 years. So we've been together 40 years. <laughs> One of the great things that we do is we're both never happy with anything. And when I say that, I mean, we're, we're all we're we're never satisfied with anything. We want to be doing things differently, making things better. He has a great quote where he's never made the same. He's never distilled the same way twice, right? No way. He's the one that's always like, Drew, we have to work on consistency, consistency. And I'm the one being consistent because every cocktail I make is the same. Like he was behind the bar one time and he put the wrong measurements in an old fashioned. And I was like, what are you doing? Throw that away. Like we don't, we don't serve that. You, Double the simple in there, like no dice, can't do it. So I run the front, he runs the back. Oh, so uh, I think I got way off track. Oh, it, uh, so you were talking about how you got to Louisiana. Yeah. So my brother actually is the one that kind of brought us into Louisiana. He went to, uh, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, he was a doctor. His best friend in med school was from Louisiana and was always trying to recruit him back. Uh, they ended up going and doing their fellowship together and their residency together. And then he moved down here and was constantly just uh, getting my brother to just try and get my brother down here. He was living in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi is a, is a wonderful place. It just doesn't have the allure of Southeast Louisiana. He was a lot closer to me then. Like I was living in Memphis. He was like an hour away, but he moved down to down here. And uh, I visited him more down here. So one of the things he noticed right when he got down here was just the lack of any local distilleries in the area. I, I mean, there were some and there, there's a couple of great distilleries here in the state. We're in the uh, distillery guild with a lot of them. And uh, there's like 15. Right, yeah. So 15. So funny. They, that's yeah. I think there's 90 in the city of Seattle, 90 separate <laughs> distilleries. And there's 15 in the state of Louisiana. Let me tell you, the people in Louisiana like to drink. Southeast Louisiana, we like to party down here. And we'll get to this, but there's also a lot of sugar cane there. But Absolutely. 
Yeah, let's get back to so you you all moved down to. Uh, by the way, I said y'all. I love you it. see, I'm becoming it. southern yeah. by just talking yeah. to you. Um, y'all decided to move to Louisiana yeah. to start your distillery. Did you and your brother have in mind uh, what spirit you wanted to make initially? So uh, my brother has a book of experiments with about 150 different experiments in it. Uh, we have done like 15 of them so far. So we have barely even started with this. So, <laughs> Well, you, you said he was doing, um, he was making liqueurs at home. Was that something that he thought, okay, once I have a distillery, it's going to be a liqueur distillery, or I have 150 recipes, I want to start with the one on page one, uh -huh. and then we're going to go to page 150. How did it work? So the coffee liqueur that we, uh, that we started with is, uh, it's really fantastic. We use a local coffee roaster, and we cold brew the coffee, and then combine it with our white rum, and... Wait a sec. You combine it with your white rum. You so skipped so many steps. You, you, I'm going to move down to Louisiana. I'm going to build yep. a distillery. Okay. You break ground. You All find right, a so, spot. Well, so we're looking around for spots. We go to several different. Uh, so we have parishes in Louisiana. We don't have counties. It's a great thing about down here. Everything's a little different. So uh, as we were looking, we went to several different ones and nobody was giving us any interest. And uh, we went to, uh, we're in Ascension Parish uh, in the city of Gonzales. The mayor here not only said, yes, I'm interested. In fact, I want to help you guys. I want to see distilleries. This shows great growth in the city. Not only did he encourage us, but we can call him when we have issues, which is it, like, I've told this to other distillers and they're like, your mayor? You have him on speed dial. Not only that, he, he comes here. Like, I know his drink. We know each other. Like, when we see each other on the street, it's not like, oh, there's a distiller. I don't want. He's like, what's up? And like, it's great. I mean, that kind of support, you, you, you don't get anywhere else. The great thing about Gonzalez, Gonzalez doesn't really have any craft cocktail places here. Like, if you want a good drink and you live in Gonzalez, you go to Baton Rouge or you go to New Orleans. They're both about, Baton Rouge is about 30 minutes away. New Orleans is about 45 minutes away. Both of those cities have great cocktail bars. You can get you can get a good cocktail there. Around here, there's not really a good place to have a cocktail. I mean, there there certainly is. There's a place right down the street that I like a lot, uh, but you have to really know it's there mm -hmm. to get to. Here, we uh, we're doing really creative cocktails. Everything is very seasonal. That's something that I really, as I've kind of come up, like I don't drink the same thing hour by hour. It could change like so quickly. I love when people ask me, Drew, what's your, what's your favorite cocktail? Cause I'm always like, you <laughs> got to tell me where I'm at. Like, what am I doing? Like, am I at a cocktail party or am I on a beach? Cause that'll change what your favorite thing is. Absolutely. I get that all the time now. So you, you, you settled in Gonzalez, you built your stills. Yeah. Right. What did you think your first base spirit was going to be? Were you planning to do a vodka, a rum? What What were you thinking first? So out of the gate, we uh, we started with vodka. And uh, the reason we started with vodka, a lot of people think vodka is this very easy spirit to make. And it's a very easy spirit to mess up. It's not easy. The definition of vodka when we were making it has changed since then. But when we first opened, the definition of vodka was a odorless, flavorless, colorless spirit that's proofed over 190 proof. And uh, we make ours from, uh, we use sugar. So we, uh, ours is technically rum at 189 proof. So if you don't get it above 190, the government will not allow you to put vodka on it. Like it's technically mm -hmm. rum. So. But so, you know, that's super interesting because usually, you know, people think of vodka being made out of potatoes, um, right. wheat, malted barley, or I'm sorry, barley, what, you know, all those kind of things, corn, but you've got sugar cane right around the corner. So you're using that. Right. Yeah. It's what I always tell people, like I've had people come to the distillery and they say, no, 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 you're wrong. Vodka has to be made from potatoes. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's you make vodka with whatever you have. That's what people like. People make spirits with what they have available. 
I mean, that's why scotch is made in Scotland. That's what you, that's why you have available. That's why you don't make rum in Scotland. You make rum and you make rum where you, you have sugar cane. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, did you bottle that? The vodka? Yeah. Yeah. So we opened, we opened with five spirits. Yeah. Yeah. We opened with five okay. spirits. It was vodka. Uh, we opened with a white rum. So our vodka is made from 100% sugar. Our white rum's made from 90% sugar, 10% molasses. It's very clean. It's a Cuban style of rum. So uh, Cuban style of rum's super clean. It's a Swiss Army rum. You can use it in your mojitos. You can use it in your just across the board. It's a super easy drinking. Use it in anything. At the same time, we're making rum. Uh, we're also putting rum away in barrel because we know we're gonna we're gonna need this down the road. Oh, this is what right, we have. Right. I get off track real quick. Uh, so uh, then coffee liqueur I already mentioned, and then uh, we're sourcing a bourbon, and, uh, uh, and then we did an agricole style rum mm. as well. And uh, uh, we didn't call it agricole; we called it uh, a cane okay. juice rum. Uh, reason for that, we just uh, we feel like eventually, like in the next, uh, I think it's coming either this year or next year. Uh, agricole is going to be a protected kind of like tequila mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. scotch or champagne is, right. the, is the best example of that. You know, champagne has to come from champagne in France, you know, like it's it, it's very specific rules. But bourbon's the same way. You know, bourbon is very, very specific. So so you had these five and yeah. um, now how about the name? How did you is it because you have sugar fields around the corner? Yeah, sugar fields all around us. I mean, uh -huh. it was a kind of a no brainer for you to call yeah. it that. We, we were looking at, uh, we narrowed it down, whatever you're doing, like the part that nobody really gets in opening a distillery is there are so many things that you don't even think of, like your logo. Like, do you, do you know how many logos we went through to pick this one? Like we went through so many. And I mean, you're down to like 10 and you're like, I don't I like that one. And then. Hey, bottles, labels, yeah, I mean, you know, all those you got, Yeah, things. you got to pick your bottles and your. I mean, the tops on the bottles. So from opening the distillery to having something to sell, how long did that take? So uh, we got our distilling permit in, uh, I think we got that in April. The stills, we turned them on in November. That was when we got all the rest of our permits and everything that you have to have and uh, all, the, all the stuff. So we turned it on in November with a plan to open before Christmas. And then we it didn't work. January 4th was our opening day. So it was January 2020. I mean, right. what timing? So you're really a COVID baby. We are. We are. People People say, man, you've uh, only been open for two and a half years. And I was like, yeah, sometimes it feels like 10 years and sometimes it feels like 10 months, you know, no. like it was, it's such a weird time to be at it because we opened in January. No, uh, wait a sec. Did you open in January with those five spirits already in hand? With those okay. five spirits. So yeah. it's like, you're ready to go. It wasn't, yeah. You're ready to go. You want the punters to come in. You want the people to come in. One thing about opening was when we opened, like, I have to put a cocktail menu together with this somehow, right? Like, so you can't just hand me five spirits and be like, we're opening tomorrow, Drew. Here you go. One of the, one of the really cool things about having a distillery and being into cocktails is I have the ability to change the spirit based on the cocktail rather than the opposite of that. So, so give me an example. example. Yeah. All right. So when we made the vodka, like the first vodka that we, like we did 10, 10 experimental bottles or we, we did a bunch of experiments. I took these experiments with me and made cocktails with them. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people this all the time. If you have a vodka that doesn't work in a martini, the vodka doesn't work. You got to go back to the drawing board. Got, yep. Got to go back. Got to start it over. Our vodka is made from sugar. There's another very, like, I'm not going to jump right. Grey Goose is uh, like fantastic vodka. I don't like Grey Goose in a martini. I think it's too sweet. I think it has too, it's too sweet for, mm -hmm. for a martini. I prefer other vodkas for martinis. Uh, I was really worried our vodka was going to fall in, in that category where it wouldn't work with fruits. And uh, it, it did not. It uh, it went the other way. It really opened up the vermouth because it had all these extra flavors that sugar has in it. So uh, when you think of sugar, sugar really has like all of these 
beautiful flavors in it. You know, it's got a little vanilla and a little uh, caramel because what they do with the sugar cane is they take that sugar cane and cook it down. And when they cook it down to make the sugar crystals, that releases all these beautiful flavors. And when you distill it out, like some of the residual flavor remains in there and comes through in the cocktails. Our vodka works great in Blood Marys. It works great, like across the board. From starting the process to having it in a bottle, how long did, do you think it took you to get that perfect or, or the way you wanted it to be? I get this question a lot. You don't have to tell us. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like we're people. One thing I love about distilleries, and I'm not sure how many distilleries you talk, but we're overly transparent about everything. Like when I talk about gin, I tell you all the botanicals I put in it. I tell you how I do it. Tell you my method, like the full, full ride. And ever like when I was doing research on gin, I would go to places and they tell me how they did it. Show me how they did it. Tell me all the, everything they were putting. And I was like, Oh, okay. Thanks. Cause we're not worried about the competition. We want good gins out there coming from craft distilleries. Cause that's, that's what you want. The same with, same with the vodka. The vodka took, it took longer than I expected. Mm-hmm. How about that? Like, uh, to get it right, it took about a month of experimenting. Oh, that's not too long. That's, that's quick. If you focus, like we focus on something, we'd be drinking vodka here all day. And then we'd leave here and go to a bar and I would line up vodkas at the bar just cause I was like, it's, give me a sample of all your vodkas. Bartenders think I'm crazy, but uh, but they'd line them up and like that's something that nobody really does is just drink knock a v- uh, vodka neat just side by side. You can tell a lot of differences between vodka. the The biggest difference is is there's two categories of vodka. There is good vodka, and there is let's just call it <laughs> not, not so good, good not so good vodka. <laughs> we know where these vodkas are classified at. In the good vodka category, the nuances, the differences between these, the vodkas are minute. And the biggest difference that I find is you find something you like and you, you kind of stick to it. So getting somebody to go from their vodka to our vodka, what is it going to take to do that? Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's a couple of things. The first thing I think is, uh, you have to have a vodka out there that is neutral. Neutral is important in vodka. You don't want to have these super flavors to your vodka because that's going to mess up all the vodka cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, you have to have mouthfeel. You want it to feel good when it's in your mouth, which sounds kind of funny. No. Vodka in your mouth, it's, it's important. It's got to flow through your palate correctly. And the last one, you want to make sure the next morning that you're not regretting your choices from the night before. That's important too. And when we're making the vodka or any of our spirits that we make, we're very conscientious of that. We tell people all the time, like the process of making spirits is such an art form. The science behind it, Thomas had that from day one. He understands the science. What he's really found is the the art of it. When you're distilling vodka, as it's coming off the line, it's coming off the line at a 190 proof. We still have to taste that vodka yeah because if there's an issue it'll be in the in the taste you're not going to be able to tell it by the proof or the the feel or like it's the smell and the taste Mm -hmm. and uh i'd love to tell you that every single vodka we've ever made has been perfect nope (laughs) but i will tell you when you make a mistake at a distillery it's easy to fix your mistakes do you know what you do you just put it back in the still and just right and try it again (laughs) yeah let's try this again here we go all right so you got your vodka and uh, then you decide, then you're, ma- you're going to make rum, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me about that process of how you thought of what kind of rum you wanted and how that came about. So I think I talked about my rum and already called it a Swiss Army rum. Yes, which I love, by the way. I love that. Oh, that's a good one, right? Yeah. So rum is, rum is such a broad category because earlier I talked about the definition of, you know, vodka, that, Rum is any spirit right. made from sugar cane. That's by definition, that's what rum is. And uh, uh, a lot of people think rum is going to be naturally sweet then. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. Like our white rum, it has some vanilla notes, some caramel notes, 
it's not super sweet. We don't add any sugar to our white rum. I mean, it's made from sugar and molasses. The second thing about rum that uh, we get a lot here is people think that rum is this cheap thing that you drink in college. It's not really that great of a spirit. That's, that's something that we were really challenged with here in this state. That is simply not true at all. That the journey of rum is is really an incredible journey. The fact that we're in Southeast Louisiana, if we didn't make rum, that would just be silly. Right. It's especially because you're, as you say, you're looking at sugar cane fields out your door. And the sugar cane farmers are these incredible people that we get all of our sugar and molasses. We go to a sugar refinery and get it. We don't go through a broker. We don't go through, we don't get it delivered. Like we literally drive over there, load it up and bring it back. When I say we, it's usually my brother. I've gone over there. Whenever I go over there, he, he doesn't like taking me a whole lot because I'm the videographer and I'm bringing my cameras and stuff and shoot. But uh, I, you can't get more local than that. That's for sure. Right. No, no, no. And uh-huh. I, like as we're pulling up to get the sugar and molasses, you can see the sugar. Tr- I mean, the, it, it's in the middle of a sugar field. The sugar trucks are pulling up. We know a lot of the farmers that are out there. Uh, so I talked about how our white rum is a Cuban style rum. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the French style of making rum is, is, is the agricultural style. It agricultural actually means agricultural in, uh, in, in French. But that style is, it's rum made from sugar cane rather than sugar and molasses. Right. This is such a more unique way of making rum. I love these rums. They're not for everybody. Mm-hmm. What you get in this style of rum is sugar cane is, it's cane. So it's grass. So you get a lot of these earth notes and a lot of uh, grassiness. So when I say earth notes, that's a nice way of saying it, it tastes kind of like dirt a little bit. You know? <laughs> now, um, how much of the terroir really matters with the sugar cane? It's funny that you bring that word up. My brother and I, the first year we like 2020 before, or actually it was 2019 before we opened, we knew a sugar cane farmer and he had a whole field, about an acre that uh, blew over in a storm and he couldn't cut it with his machinery. And he goes, hey guys, if y'all want to, like, I'm just going to burn it. If y'all want to come out here and harvest some of this, you're welcome to. So me, my brother said, boy, that sounds like fun. So we grabbed, yeah, some machetes, cane knives went out and uh, we're hacking it up. Uh, It was me, my brother, my niece went out there, my brother-in-law went out there. So we went out there, hard, hard work. Uh, We loaded up tons when i say tons i mean tons of sugar cane brought it back juiced it here at the distillery so we have a three-roll press we juiced it through that then we made agricole stuff so that is the best example of going from the sugar cane fields into the bottle i touched it every single step of the way year number two comes around halfway through the year we're like dude we gotta we gotta figure this agricole out this year we got to get back out in the fields this is where the terroir comes in so mm-hmm. we, we were talking to this farmer uh across the, right across the mississippi river from us and he has this uh 25,000 acre sugar cane field oh boy and he said come on over boys y'all can take all you want it's a drop in the ocean day number one we load up the trailer and we're heading out there we're in my brother's brand new truck and we're okay. driving through this field and all of the dirt is is red so we were out there for about an hour cutting cane uh, they helped us out that day that's why we were in and out of there so quick but on the trip back all we talked about was that red dirt mm-hmm. the next day we go to a different part of the field the dirt was black that whole day all we talked about was terroir we're like mm-hmm. oh my god like how much different is this cane going to be from the cane that we got yesterday. Like, what is that? So what we decided to do was to keep keep them separated. And uh, it turns out that the parish line went right down the middle of the field. And the half that was red was in a different parish than the half that was the black dirt. Mm-hmm. So we separated these out, distilled them in two separate batches. And uh, we were like, this is the best expression of terroir that you can have because everything's the same except literally the dirt that they came from now of course we use scientific method all all the time here so our hypothesis was that they were going to be different yes and they came out very different 
And oh, uh, really the, the blend of the two was really excellent. And uh, I almost wanted to just blend them together, but I was like, yeah, but, like I love the, I, I love the terroir expression that this gives. And uh, uh, one of the big issues in, in rum is the lack of accountability on labels. As I see this talked about all the right, time. Right, and aging, sugar, all of those things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, adding sugar, adding coloring, doing doing all this stuff. All of it's completely you're you're able to do it. Aging like when you're aging stuff, like that right. the age statements are all just a mess. Right. We just went the total opposite way of that. We put complete transparency on our labels. We put what yeast we used. We put like every little detail that we could. We put the coordinates that we, we did that on the first on the first bottle. We put the coordinates of the field that it came from the, the second time we did it we took it from so many different places in the field we we're like eh, i don't think we could put the court like and the field was so huge we, we couldn't put a coordinates for where this did you have any idea when you moved down to louisiana that it would be like that that you would get so many local um products to use in your i know we're only talking about sugarcane right now but i yeah. know because i did a little bit of research i know you make also citrus liqueurs and yeah. that the citruses and we'll get into that which ones are all local yep had you so, any idea uh, when you moved to louisiana that that would be so you can't answer not, yes <laughs> yes not you to the level, know, that's why you moved not there. to the level that we did it what is really cool about having your own place is you can make it at whatever you want. Uh, there was one time we were, it might've been that the agricole when we were talking about, do, do it this way, do we do it this way? Like, how do we want to kind of approach this uh, release? And we just stopped and said, this is our deal. Like we can do it any way we want to do it. We're going to do it the way we want. And people either appreciate it or, 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 or not. And we'll figure it out like that. Our approach has always been like big key value to us is Keep it as local as you can. The biggest thing is quality. Putting out a quality product is vital. If you can't, if you can find it better, not local, go that way. But guess what? Local is almost always better. In our experience, local has been better for everything. Except, like, if we can't find it local, guess what doesn't grow in Louisiana? Juniper. Juniper. I, like, oh. I can't. I can't make gin like a Louisiana. Like, yeah. So. We work with a local spice market. Like we, we find a way to have a local twist on everything. Like our coffee liqueur. We use a local coffee roaster. Coffee beans don't grow here. So we, we get them roasted here. So we, we try to always have, have something local about it. Since I brought up the citrus liqueurs. So which citrus are you using and what grows locally? So that's a great thing about Southeast Louisiana. We have so much local citrus it's not even something that i knew was down here when i moved out my favorite little fruit that grows down here is uh it's called a satsuma are you familiar with satsumas yes of course like a clementine yeah, yeah. there are these great little oranges but it's different than an orange it's yes yeah, just like a clementine during satsuma season everything says you go to a restaurant they'll have like when when is that uh it's right around christmas so it's right in the uh late november all the way through about mid-January, everybody has them. They sell Satsumas in grocery stores. Nobody around here buys. Like, everybody knows that their mom has a tree or their neighbor has a tree. And you just garbage bag or uh, grocery bags full of those. You just pass them out to everybody. You go to church with them and you just, hey, you need Satsumas? Here's some Satsumas. And your bank teller will have some for you. And you, it, it's, it's crazy. I love uh, it. But it's great. So what we did was we captured that in in a bottle. Our approach to uh, liqueurs is we mm -hmm. try to keep them as natural as possible. And by doing that, we try to keep the spirit as close to the fruit as possible. I don't want a Satsuma that tastes like an orange. That's a different flavor. In fact, we actually have an orange liqueur also because we like the orange flavor too. And oranges grow around here as well. But uh, Satsuma shouldn't taste like fake satsuma either or fake orange i hate fake flavors what proof do you keep them all of our fruit liqueurs are at 70 proof which is the highest proof you can have as a liqueur the reason for that goes because actually goes right back to the the bar i'm the bar advocate here in in the back and i want to keep the proof on our liqueurs as high as possible because if you can just use a liqueur as the base spirit the flavor in that spirit is going to be so much better. 
So you have the orange, you have the Satsuma. What other liqueurs do you make? We also have a, a, a lemon liqueur uh, that's really great. We've done some distillery only liqueurs. Uh, so we have a, we, we're out, we, we didn't get any this year, but uh, we did loquat liqueur. Are you familiar with what a loquat is? I've heard of a kumquat, but not a loquat. Oh, we've got a kumquat liqueur as well. Uh, a loquat is like a, a Japanese plum. Ooh. It's it's a really interesting flavor. We basically uh, found some trees. We have some trees planted out front now. But we found some trees. So this is such a cool flavor. And it's such a local flavor. Uh, some of this fruit, people don't even appreciate it. They're just like, loquats? I hate that tree. If you want to take my loquats, you can have them because I'm just going to mow them up. And uh, the birds are just going to eat them. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Okay. So we got all our loquats for free. Now, I have a question. Have you gone back to the loquat givers and said, here, try this. This is what came out of it. Absolutely. Anytime yeah. we get, uh, even like we, we support our farmers, uh, like our strawberry farmer, he is awesome. Our strawberry farmer is the best example of building relationships with farmers that we have here. Uh, we started this relationship the first year we did our strawberry liqueur. Uh, we just got his number. Coleman said we were going to need like 15 lats of strawberries. And then we made strawberry liqueur, sold out of it like that. And uh, so the next year we were like, we're going to do 50 flats this year. This past year we did 70 flats. And I, you, you call him up and just say, hey, man, I need this many flats. And he either tells us I can get you this many by this time and then this many by next week. And uh, we work with him. Like we want to make sure that he has enough to for the farmer's market so that because he's a strawberry farmer. When it's strawberry season, that's his time to to shine. And uh, if he's not making money, then what's the right. point? You know, someone I interviewed also makes a liqueur, and they said that the fruits that they need are different from the fruits that sell. So it's can to be the ugly ones, the trashed ones, sometimes just stems, you know, and that that might be thrown away. I'm using air quotes can be used. So not so there isn't waste for the peaches. For a peach liqueur, we, we do take the ugly fruit, strawberries. I actually had this conversation with our farmer. I was like, do you have like these strawberries? Listen to this. By the way, his, he's from Fletcher Farms. His name's William Fletcher. William said, Drew, I don't ever have beef fruit. All of my it. fruit is A fruit. He goes, I don't pick beef fruit. Like the beef fruit, not interested in ever doing that. He goes, if I give you strawberries, they're going to be grade A strawberries. Every time there's no such thing as a great beef strawberry. All right. I want to go to Fletcher's now. Dude. Well, the great thing about that is uh, like I see him at the farmer's market every week, right? Like I go up and say, hey, talk to talk about strawberries for a minute with him. And uh, whenever we bottle the strawberry liqueur, well, he gets the first bottle and we bring it to him and uh, drop it off with him. And uh, th th this past year, he, he told me he didn't get get any of it. His wife got into it and drank it. <laughs> <laughs> now, all right. We've talked about the stuff that you are, have made. Um, sure. What is what's planned for the future? Are you making anything new? I, I have a feeling yes. that's a question that you're definitely going to say yes to. You have 150 recipes to get through. So, yeah, we're just scratching the surface right now. Yeah, exactly. But we uh, right now what we're working on currently, we've got a, uh, a strawberry gin that's coming out pretty soon. It's so good. It, it's really killer. We added strawberries to our base gin. And uh, that's a great thing about what we do. Like. We're not reinventing the wheel with anything. We're just doing what nobody else has done before and use real fruit and real spices and real things. And really, nobody, nobody's doing that. Oh, wait, you know what? We, you brought up your gin huh? and we, did, we skipped over the gin. Yep. I was interested in knowing if you use any local botanicals. So uh, we do not. And there's a good reason because the botanicals that went into our gin, uh, none of them grow around here so what we okay. did was we went with a local spice company and uh it's called mm -hmm. red stick spice company right here so baton rouge in french means red stick we went to them and said we're making a gin we also went to them with our spice drum and said look you're the spice <laughs> experts first off with gin it's got to be juniper forward outside of that what, what kind of botanicals are you looking for and I also went to about 50 different distilleries, talked to the head distillers, and I don't even want to tell you how many gents I tried. But uh, So other than juniper, what other things were, did you 
both you and and the Red Stick think that you would want to have? So uh, the the way we approached this was the same way we approached everything else. We did twelve different experiments and then whittled those down. And uh, the botanicals that we went with were green cardamom, Mexican allspice, clove, and uh, white black pepper. One of the big big things that I learned as I was going through my gin journey was uh, keep it simple. Like don't overcomplicate your gin. I went to so many distilleries and they were like, I'm doing 15 different gins. Like mm-hmm. my favorite one is the easiest one. It's the simplest one makes the best drinks. Um, it must be really fragrant. It is. It, it smells. When you open it, do you, do you smell the clove? And the oh, yeah. Temper? It all comes through. The, the, yeah. You get a lot of the clove and a lot of that green cardamom, too. That green cardamom really comes through. The white and black pepper is uh, really far back on your palate. You don't smell it at all. It's almost lost in there until you're making it. There's some cocktails that you can make with it. And it shines through in those cocktails. And so the strawberry. Mm-hmm. sounds like an interesting mix with it. Yeah. So the strawberry punches up a lot of those other, like it really punches up, again, the cardamom and the clove really come out with the strawberry. It's a beautiful color. And uh, the cocktails with that gin are incredible. I'm sure. And so we were talking about the future. So the strawberry gin, the strawberry gin, what else? Okay. So one of the things that I have not really touched at all about yet is our... uh, barreling program. So right now we have a lot of things that we have barreled that are coming of age. Our bourbon, all of that, it's still got another, at least another year and a half before those are mature. And uh, it'll probably be a little longer than that. Uh, we, we have released some bourbons that we've been, I mean, we've been sourcing bourbon since day one, uh, completely mm-hmm. transparent with that. We're, we've been sourcing some rise as well, which are really interesting. The whole barreling that is so much fun like that is the most fun that we have here is going to these barrels and seeing where it's coming a couple of months like uh yeah what's coming out of it it's fun and it's terrifying at the same time we had a batch of bourbon that we uh we had uh, eight barrels that we needed to uh be ready by april and we tried them in february they were not anywhere close to being where we thought they needed to be and we were mm-hmm. terrified so we put them away again and we said don't worry about it we're going to be all right so we didn't sleep for like three months and then we tried them on their birthday and that short amount of time they just ramped right up and they had like everything that we were looking for and barrels they had and uh, that was like a yeah it was like a a moment where we were like all right we're gonna we're gonna be okay here yeah uh, because if you have a you know order of bourbon come in and you you don't have a barrel that's ready you can't tell your distributor i don't know it's probably gonna be about two more years you know Uh, you gotta get it out and uh you don't want to put out we'll never put out anything that's not great we're learning like i'll tell you that right now every batch that we do is better uh, we're, we we're started a finishing series, so we've uh, just released our first finishing series of, uh, we, it was actually a rye was our first one. That's the best thing we've released so far. The other big thing that's come out is our aged rum series. It, it's so good. We approach rum just like we approach bourbon, uh, except rum doesn't need as long in the barrel, which is beneficial. Beneficial. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really, really great. And uh, we say we're uh, rum for whiskey drinkers. We stole that too. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Rum is such a broader category than bourbon is. Bourbon, you're just, it's got to be this and this. With rum, it's kind of like, do whatever you want to do. But we still are transparent about it. We're not doing any additives. We're not doing any colorings. We're, that's just not something that we're ever going to do. The the other big thing, last year, we, uh, I guess, it was our first finishing barrel that we did. We worked with a local bourbon society and we released a charity barrel with them. And uh, we raised over $30,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society through a release of uh, a, a rye whiskey that was aged in a white port barrel and then a, uh, a rum barrel. So it was double finish. And we called it our Twice Blessed. That's our like uh, charity barrel that we do every year. 
Are you going to do another charity barrel this year? Yes, we are. So that charity barrel this year is going to be aged in a honey barrel and then a, a used port barrel. It's so good. Let me talk about that honey barrel real quick. Yeah, I was going to say you had me at honey yeah. barrel. What is that? So, uh, so honey barrels in the whiskey world are barrels that are the perfect barrels in the warehouse, in your Rick house. Like there's these really sweet spots and those are called your honey barrels. That's a honey barrel. That's one of the, one of the uses of that word. The second use of that word is if you take a barrel, a bourbon barrel, and you fill it up with honey, that's what we did. So we aged, we barrel aged some honey, some local honey. So we have, uh, we actually have bees out back. Their cousins gave us the honey that went into that barrel, actually went out and helped harvest that honey. So uh, I was out in the bee suit and everything. And, uh, we robbed a bunch of bees of their honey, and then uh, I used a centrifuge here to, to spit it all out, then loaded up a, a, a big barrel. And uh, the funny thing about honey, most people think honey is, honey is this really crazy, crazy thing. First, it's made by bees, and then us humans, we steal it, and it never goes bad. What is this thing? What is this? You know, and uh, it also leaches any moisture. So if you fill a barrel with that, that barrel, you have to... Take it out and hydrate that barrel every day. So there was somebody at the distillery. Every day we had this barrel that was mm. just watering this thing down, trying to keep it more, trying to keep some moisture in this barrel. But unfortunately, it like eventually it was just like we, this barrel's failed miserably and we emptied the honey out of it, reclaimed that honey. And then we tried to save the barrel. We were a little bit successful. We were successful enough to take another barrel of bourbon put in that barrel. Uh, we kept it in there for, I want to say 60, 90 days, something like that. I think it was about uh -huh. three months. And uh, that entire three months, me and my brother watched this barrel just drip every day. And we were just, this is literal money down the drain here. Like just because it was right over a drain, just dripping. And uh, uh -huh. but finally we were just like, I've had enough of this. Let's pull this and put it in. Like we had these fresh barrels that had just been emptied out. Boom, hit it. Filled, filled those back up and uh, we designated that this year's charity barrel. So uh, that'll be coming out this, I believe that's this July, just a way to kind of help out. Uh, so this year we're helping women's cancer. Last year was lymphoma, leukemia. This year is women's cancer. And then uh, next year, I believe we're doing prostate cancer. That's really wonderful. Thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a way to kind of help everybody out. Uh, well, also... You haven't said it yet, but a little bird told me that you were going into cider making. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, right across the street right there, we have a cidery and a winery that we're opening. And we have some friends that are opening a brewery with us. So we're going to have beer, wine, cider, and spirits over here. And I think I told you we had bees. So I think we're going to probably do some mead at some point. So it's like a one-stop shop there in Gonzales, Louisiana. That's it. That's the plan. Yeah. We, you, 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 you stay and you never leave because there's too much good stuff well, to drink. Yeah. And uh, like all these people that are going to Baton Rouge and New Orleans, hey guys, we kind of got to be in your backyard now. So, uh, and just in such a short time, really. Yeah. Well, it's been two and a half so yeah. far. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I just can't wait to get down yeah. there. It just sounds divine. And um, looking at the bottles behind you, I just want to sip right now. And I just want to try that honey. It sounds yeah. great. Now, I always ask two questions before I leave. Okay. And one of them, and you are the perfect person. I think you're going to have lots, lots <laughs> for this. But I always ask for your top tip for the home bartender. So the thing I see from uh, home bartenders, they always cut corners. They always go and buy fruit juices and squeeze that lime juice, squeeze that lemon juice. That's the biggest difference between home cocktails and cocktails here. I break everything else down to, to my new little things here that nobody else can do. Like we make our own bitters here. I cut my own ice here. All, all the syrups are made in-house here. You don't have to do all that. It's like make your simple syrup. But outside of simple syrup, like if you want to buy a different syrup, buy a different syrup. That's But fruit juice... Juice that stuff. That's it, baby. All right, great. And also, and I have a feeling that you're going to say home for this one, but if you could be anywhere drinking anything right now, what would that be and where would you be? That's, that's such a good question. The thing I like most about that question is I can, this can change by the, by the minute with me. 
but it would be, I don't, I don't care what it is. Just drinking something with my wife. My wife's favorite cocktail is the old fashioned. It, you can't beat that. So drinking an old fashioned with my wife and, uh, it's starting to get hot here. So let me tell you, I'd love to be up in the mountains drinking an old fashioned with my wife. Okay. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been super. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun over here, too. Absolutely. And, you know, as I said, I can't wait to get down there and see you in real life. Yeah. Anytime you're around. Thanks so much to Andrew for being on the program. I can't wait to head down to Gonzales to try some apple cider, rum, liqueurs, and everything. Gonzales is midway between the state capital, Baton Rouge, and the Crescent City, New Orleans. It's also known as the Jambalaya capital of the world. So it's no surprise that there is a wealth of delicious food and drink to try here. Which brings us right to our cocktail of the week. Here's one of my favorite cocktails made with sugar field spirits aged rum. The banana daiquiri. Andrew says classic daiquiris are where it's at. That being said, this is not a classic daiquiri. It's a classic banana daiquiri, though. We use real fruit because I hate fake banana flavoring. I love real bananas, though. This is light and refreshing, and it screams summertime. Sounds good to me. Add all of this to a blender. Two ounces of Sugarfield Spirits Aged Rum. Half an ounce of cocoa cream. Half a banana. Half an ounce of fresh lime juice and half an ounce of simple syrup. Hit blend, and when it's blended, pour it into a glass and serve. You'll find this recipe, more Louisiana cocktails, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find most of the ingredients in our shop. Louisiana is like no other state a movie setting at every turn. Picture-perfect scenery, captivating architecture, museums and art galleries depicting a rich history, as well as a vibrant contemporary scene. Stunning homes and courtyards for dining or cocktails, boutiques and stores for endless tax-free shopping, I can't wait to return. Make sure to head to www.louisianatravel.com to find out more. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Next week, we visit with a friend who went out of his way to help his fellow industry professionals during lockdown. Until that time, bottoms up. Bottoms up.